You're listening to the Wilderness Warrior Podcast, forging dangerous men in wild places. Well, welcome to the Wilderness Warrior Podcast. I am one of your hosts. I'm Eric Kahn, and I'm here with Dan Burkholder, the other host. Dan, how are you today? I'm doing spectacular. Thanks, Eric. Yeah, absolutely. Dan, it's good to be with you. It's been a little while since we uh, have been on the show together. As I understand it, though, we have some updates and some news. Before we dive into this episode, we have some news about the bus. The bus is oh, coming man, along. The bus. Yeah, well, so I was having a conversation with some of the gentlemen at my church. We're doing a men's camp out in a week or so. And I had said something about bringing my bus. And someone said, oh, I didn't think you'd touched it for like six months. And I said, yes, I haven't touched it, but it will be done by then. (laughs) And they laughed at me. And so uh, like any good man, I decided to... um, to, to make the bet and to try to finish it as quickly as possible. So it's been uh, a bit of a race. I did some spray foam insulation on the inside, putting, um, you know, I painted it on the, on the exterior, putting up the walls inside. But I tell you what, I'm going to lose this bet because there are like <laughs> three months worth of work left. Oh, but man. anyway, it's coming along. It's coming along good. You know, it might be uh, just an insulated shell, and I just put a cot in it, and that's what I'm going to be. Well, actually, I bought countertops and a sink in the... What? Yeah, it's going to have running water in it, So, Dude. but it's going to have a Home Depot bucket to poop in, so there you go. You know, that's, <laughs> there's that. But quite honestly, like November in Colorado, you're not going to be able to use a toilet. So a Home Depot bucket is better than the snow. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, you get late season... Uh, you're going to have to turn off all your water in your camper anyway, unless you want it to freeze or you have like a Montana fifth wheel. Those are your kind of only options. So, so Dan, I want to ask you, you got the insulation in, but I heard from a little bird that maybe, maybe some of that insulation wound up somewhere it wasn't supposed to. And this, for men with beards, this could be like a horror story. So I want to, I want to ask you about that, Dan. Men, if you have a beard, let me just offer a warning. Like, you know, you read the safety warnings and such on the bottles, throw those away, ignore throw them. Away. Okay. Here's what you, you have to be careful when you get great stuff, insulation, uh, spray foam insulation on your wrist. Do not try to rub your beard to scratch your beard oh, because no. I got a massive glob of great stuff in my beard and I, I had a moment of panic. I mean, I dropped everything, what I was doing, and I ran into the garage, into my garage sink, and I'm like, what, am, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Because I did not want to cut off my beard. And so oh, I grabbed man. a bottle of mineral spirits, and I was just pouring it on my face. And so I think, yeah, I think face cancer is better than a bald face. <laughs> and so I did save my beard, although every once in a while I'll be like combing it with my fingers. I'm like, what is that? And it just, it's, it's still in there. It's still in there. Thankfully, though, I've got a glorious golden color to my beard. You know, if I had your black beard, I don't I think you'd have to cut it off because you'd have like yellow stuff in it. (laughs) Well, for the record, Dan, I probably would have just left it because I can't I mean, I can't fathom cutting the beard for one. But I also want to like the warning labels. They never talk about your beard. No, no, they don't. All the bad things that could happen to your beard. I mean, I've I've had minor things like getting stuck in a jacket 
and then, you know, lifting your head and then you, it gets in the zipper, you lift your head and then it, you, you know, it rips out a tuft of your hair. Mm, mm-hmm. That's not good. I think the most painful one though, Dan, honestly, is the AR-15 buttstock. Oh yeah. On the right side of my face where I keep my cheek walled on the rifle, like you lose some serious hair. Even, oh. even I would say, I think it was Magpul in conjunction with Daniel Defense one year, they actually came up with a buttstock that they called beard friendly. And a lot of people were like, why, why would that even be necessary? And I was like, no, listen, when you have a bald patch on the right side of your face, yeah. it I would does think, matter. Uh, to me, the, the, the beard that, is, uh, the, that hurts the, the worst, the, that causes the most pain to my beard is my eight-month-old baby and his fat little Ooh. sweaty fists. And he grabs my beard like handles, and then he just squeals like a pterodactyl <laughs> as he's pulling on my beard. And it's never in like, you know, the, the tuft right, right below your lips, like on your chin, it's always like yeah. in the, the neck area, you know? So anyway, yeah, it had a close call with the beard, saved it. Saved we'll probably it. get face cancer, but we saved it. Worth it. Worth it. The beard is still unless, here, so. unless my beard falls out. Ooh, I hadn't considered that. Are mineral spirits safe? Is that something I shouldn't have put on my face? You know, Dan, in all likelihood, it won't cause cancer for a little while. So it should be good for, I don't know. Wow. There's a Maybe number of things that I'm going to get cancer from. It's just a race to see which one gets there <laughs> first. Hopefully yeah. face cancer is towards the end. That's right. Uh, so yeah. Anyway, that's exactly right. So Dan, we're talking today about surviving the great reset. Well, I guess even before we get to that though, did we come to a, a name for the bus? Do we have a name for this bad boy? Yeah, yeah. I don't know if we have an official name at this point, but I had a a stroke of genius. Okay, I have. A, thank you for everybody who's offered their suggestions. There have been some very good ones, but you know, when you're naming something that is a work of art, really, I mean, like what this bus is. I mean, it's a very personal decision, and so I was thinking about um, the endurance, uh, Ernest Shackleton, and I'm like, ah, I think you know, a ship name would be would be apt. And I landed on the sloop of war. A sloop of war is a old battleship. And so I think I'm going to call it the sloop of war and call it sow for short. So dude, I like it. That's where I am so far. That's where I am so far. Unless someone's like, no, you underestimate the power of the name of this suggestion. And then they offer a better one. Then I'll take it. Yeah. So we're still, I mean, it's not painted on the side of the bus is what you're telling me. I no no I I have not made a covenant with my bus that its name shall <laughs> be this you know covenant. I haven't I haven't like <laughs> sealed the covenant. But we're kind of in we're kind of in betrothal with the bus, not quite yeah. full covenant, but yeah yeah. We're There's still there. a part of me that thinks I could sell it and make money on it. So if anybody wants to buy my bus, <laughs> it might be for sale. It might because be I also for sale. got I, you don't know about this. So my truck it started having engine problems again because it's. It's, it's a, a 2005 with a 5.4 liter Triton, and they just are the worst engines Ford's ever made. And, um, and so I ended up getting a 2005 Chrysler town and country minivan Wait. as my, yep, my replacement. Yep. Wait, Dan, what color is your minivan, though? Uh, it's red. It's like maroon. Well, parts of it are maroon. The parts that the paint hasn't peeled off of. I think... But it has black steel wheels. I mean, so those look... What? The only thing that could make it look better, Dan, in my opinion, it, somebody's got to make this, but remember we had the, the 
Chrysler minivans, but this is like mid-90s. They had the wood paneling. Oh, yeah. The truckster yeah. paneling. I think, Dan, oh. I think uh, you, should, you should invest. Maybe. I mean, it would be an investment. I don't know if you've bought lumber recently. Ooh. I'm about to go buy some furring strips, which is like the crappiest of crap wood. And it's going to be like $4 each. And they oh, were like crazy. 60 cents. So, yeah, I mean, I could invest that. I don't think the van's worth it, though. I don't think the van's worth it. Hey, I do want to propose something, though, because this is hunting. Like, we're talking hunting. Oh, yeah. And I think that a minivan is a superior hunting vehicle than a truck. Is there... Are are you okay, Dan? Or... Yeah, let me tell you. You take the seats out of a minivan? I mean, a full-size van. Like, if you got an all-wheel drive Astro van or something like that, that might be the ultimate. Oh, dude. Because you could get on the roof, and you can glass from the roof. I mean, come on. Come on. Trucks? No. No, no, no. Van. The van life is the way to go. You know, Dan, we're laughing about the van right now, but I do have a story about vans, and and then we will, I promise, jump into the show. But uh, recently, uh, we were up in the Rockies, and we're doing four-wheeling, and I have a, you know... Uh, forerunner with a three inch lift and two eighty five tires. You know the whole the whole setup for like off roading. And me and a buddy are up there, and he's telling me this story. He said, "Yeah, last year I was up here, and he said we got to the very top. And this is like rugged, rugged off road stuff. I mean, this is not a dirt road. This is like crawling boulders." And he said, "We get to the top, and at the very top is a green Chrysler minivan." And he said, I stood there and I'm looking at the thing and I'm like, how did this guy get up here? It's impossible. I mean, you have no ground clearance. He's got street tires, just a uh-huh. beat up old green minivan. So he said, we get up there and you know, his wife and kids are like, we want to go home. And he's like, no, I'm going to wait until the guy comes back to his, his van. I want to see this guy get out of here. And so he tells me, he says, the guy finally comes back. He gets in his van and he said, immediately I realized what he was doing. He said he would... <laughs> He would go as fast as he ki- as he could, and he would just hit the boulder as fast as possible. And he said, "You would see sparks flying. The guy's head was like hitting the ceiling, the side, you know, hitting the side uh, window. This is like it was a. He said it was the funniest thing that I have ever seen. Just like this hippie dude, and he was just he would just go as fast as he possibly could. And he said by the time he got down, like I think like the exhaust was ripped off the van. How it didn't puncture something valuable, who knows? But what I'm saying, Dan, is you might have a point about the minivan. I'm not saying I would necessarily trade my forerunner in, but... Yeah. I, hey, I did have an idea. Actually, I was going to call the van the sled because I was either I was going to put a three-inch lift on it and bigger tires, or I was just going to put a skid plate on the entire bottom of the van, and then oh, it would no. just be the sled. Yeah, that's right. I'd do what that hippie dude did. Dude. Yes. Rock it yes. out in the van. I think um, you may have just started something, Dan. That may be a, Maybe. I don't see a lot of people doing this. No, no, there's, there's probably no reason. Like people haven't thought about it. That's probably why. Yeah. Sled, and it it also may be because it's a horrible go. idea. That might also be another reason. Nah, nah. It's not like, like your life is dependent on your vehicle or something like that in the back country. So <laughs> seems like a risk <laughs> worth taking. You got legs. You can walk yourself out. That's right. Well, Hey, you know, hunting late season in Colorado, there are guys, they'll get their trucks stuck you know, like way, way up in these mountain roads in the snow and they're there for the winter. Yeah. They have to wait till snow melt. Yeah, dude, it's crazy. Uh, 
And you know, like some of that stuff can happen like September, October, but you know, we were out last year in razors and there was like three feet of snow. And, uh, yeah, yeah I was, I, I was thinking that cause I was with my buddy and I was like, oh yeah, we're going to be cool. It's going to be cool. And then he said, yeah, I think we should turn around. And he told me that exact same thing. He's like, oh yeah, we've seen vehicles back here, you know, cause people will come in, even trucks and chains and you get back there and then it's like, well, you're just going to have to leave it and, and then hike <laughs> out cause it's not going anywhere. Yeah, when I was hunting Colorado a couple of years ago, we were trying to get our trucks through this this mountain through this mountain road, try to get to this hunting area. And I mean, we had shovels and chains and we were like ramming the trucks through oh, the wow. snow. We'd get it stuck and then you back it up and you shovel out a little bit more and then you ram yeah. it through and and a guy in a snowmobile came by and he's like, "I don't think you guys want to do that. There's a feller who got a little bit farther than you and they had to abandon their truck." So, <laughs> we're like, "You know what?" we'll find somewhere else <laughs> yeah i think we'll go so, somewhere else yeah exactly yeah. well this was supposed to be about the great reset i don't know where where this came from but i i was gonna have yeah i was gonna have a super good segue like oh speaking of survival now we're gonna talk about surviving the great reset so i think it actually is a good segue dan not necessarily in the backcountry, but surviving the great reset so as we unpack this issue i want to ask you a couple questions number one what is the great reset for for those who are not familiar what is it yeah, so the Great Reset is is uh, not a, a term that was coined by some like conspiracy theorist that you, you know you hear that term used. A conspiracy theorist uh, tossed around to attempt to discredit people, but this is actually from the mouth of the horse is using the term Great Reset, and it comes from. Uh, I think it originated. Someone could correct me, but. This is from Klaus Schwab, who is the executive chairman and the founder of the World Economic Forum. And the World Economic Forum, just to give you a brief snapshot, you can listen to some some like crazy right wing stuff and and they'll go into you know more details about this. But um, essentially, the World Economic Forum is a conglomeration, like a, an international conglomeration of world powers and of a lot of nonprofits like the Gates Foundation, the um, Rothschild Foundation, the uh, there's a bunch where all the money is. They get together and they they make decisions for the rest of mankind for our good. And one of the terms, one of the movements that they're using is this great reset. And so from Klaus Schwab, the founder and executive chairman of the World Economic Forum, this is what he said about the great reset. He said it's three. There are three aspects to this great reset. The first is creating conditions for a stakeholder economy. And a stakeholder economy is a, a somewhat benign term that really means that we're going to, we're going to take uh, claims and viewpoints from different stakeholders. And that is kind of where you get this idea of a homogenous sort of mass making decisions instead of leaders actually leading. And so you get decisions made by different people at different levels of an organization. So that's, in a, in a sense, is where you're seeing a lot of our, uh, our culture going is into this stakeholder type economy to where if you don't give a pinch of incense to Caesar and to the LGBTQ gods uh, by putting a rainbow flag in your, in your email signature or by wearing the pin, you know, if you work in retail, you got to wear like a, a LGBTQ gay flag pin. I'm sorry. Uh, LGBTQ flag, um, then you're not going to be able to work there. And so it's the minorities leading 
these organizations. So the first one, creating uh, conditions for a stakeholder economy. Yeah. So Dan, I, I want to ask a few questions uh, at this point, because y- y- there's so much to unpack here. Uh, but like how it applied in the last year, number one, you mentioned this, but um, I heard, especially like Justin Trudeau, when COVID first came out, like these guys, uh, you know, Angela Merkel, Germany, same deal. Like they were rejoicing that all this was going on. And they were like, oh, this is, this is time for the Great Reset. And they were the ones using that language. And I think they see yeah. it as a tearing down of particularly like traditional Judeo-Christian Western civilization and structures. So number one, I would just say is, like you said, uh, we didn't invent this language. It wasn't conspiracy theorists. It was people at the top of governments. The second thing that's really interesting, though, is when you look across the continents and the countries, um, you really have to ask the question, is this a concerted effort, everything that's gone on with masks and shutdowns? And the reason you have to ask that is because, especially now, uh, we have the Fauci emails. Um, It's pretty much proven that this guy is lying straight through his teeth. I mean, he's documented as saying masks don't work and then mandating that everybody has to wear them. That's one example. But what's really, I guess what's really interesting is you can look at all the, the world leaders and all these corporations, you mentioned LGBT, and it's like they're all running off the exact same script. That doesn't happen by accident, right? So these Correct. people are all, somehow there is a concerted effort to do something where, you know, I think we're going to unpack that something is, is the Great Reset. Would you add anything to that, Dan, uh, in terms of anywhere else you see this happening. Yeah. So it's not just that leaders are using the same language, the similar phrases and things like that. That should be like, that should be a red flag. And I'm sure we've all seen, I mean, over the, it's, it's been 18 months, you know, since COVID really started, you know, here. And so we've seen the news stations that are all like, you know, all the different news, local news stations that are reading the same script and they're being fed the same information. And so we have language and the messaging all united, right? Which should be a massive red flag. But then the actions also are united. Yeah. And so in the Western world, you're going to see similar uh, approaches to mask mandates and economic shutdowns and things of that nature. And, it, and it's really um, a big status takeover is really what's happening with that. Not to be like, like crazy, but that's, I mean, that's essentially what's happened. They're removing rights and tearing down capitalistic, uh, like you said, Christian uh, foundational values from society. Yeah. And one of the areas I've seen it, I guess, is the medical community. Um, I have a bunch of family that's doctors, nurses, et cetera. And they said one of the really interesting things about, say, like the, the vaccination, the, the passports, the way that they're pushing this is they said, well, it violates almost everything we've thought historically about human rights and, you know, like subjecting people almost really, really not almost, but forcing people to take part in a clinical trial, like through their companies, you know, right, military. Right. If you're in these companies, they're saying, you know, people are being I know I know I've talked to people who said, yeah, my boss said if. If I don't wear a mask and get the vax, then I'm probably going to be fired. And it's like, Mm. what's crazy about this, though, Dan, is like you said, it's across the board. It's being enforced not only by the government, but by corporations. 
across the board, across continents. Yeah, they want you to be, it's funny, they want you to be fixated on the, uh, for the vaccine, let's say the vaccine, for example. Uh, putting aside even the efficacy of the vaccine or the, the moral implications of a vaccine or any of the other issues directly with the vaccine, the thing that's terrifying is when you look at the way that it's being pushed through you know, like you're going to lose your job if you don't, if you don't take the mark, (laughs) I mean, I'm not a pre-male dispy, but, but I mean, that's, it's, it's a pattern throughout history, right? If you don't take the mark, you can't buy or buy or trade. Like you can't, you can't own a business. You can't work, uh, run for office sort of things. And, and then even the rewards, like we'll use the stick and the carrot. And so we're going to do lotteries and donuts and free beer and, Free Uber rides, free Uber meal, Uber Eats. It's just insane. Yeah, it is insane. And that should be a red flag when governments are start, start doing like lotteries and giveaways so that you get this thing that is very questionable. I mean, it should be a red flag. I'm not going to say like what I think is, I don't know what, why they would be pushing the vaccine like that. Um, I don't know what nefarious intent they have and it, because it's def- definitely not for our best interest, but that's, sh- that. So this, something like this, I mean, 150 years ago, our forefathers would have gone to war. Like you're, you're forcing someone to get vaccine, you know, vaccine, like, no, absolutely not. There's no question they would have. And I think as it, Dan, as it ties into the great reset, you know, I I know we'll go through each one of these points, but, but but say like on this first one, like creating conditions for a stakeholder economy. What do you see as the long term, like what's going to be the net effect of that if, if that is created? Well, yeah, it, it has been created and we've been seeing that. And it's through listening to victims, through to victims and minorities and through the oppressed. And that's really where this is coming from. It's not yeah. like everybody gets equal say. That's not that's what it says, but that's not what what it really means. It, and, and so we are seeing the effects of that right now. So that's, that's why across the street from the church, the art center is waving the, the, the pride flag and why they have pride art and why there's going to be a march and a parade and all of the, you know, same thing with like Black Lives Matter, you know, with the oppressed and the minorities and and um, trying to atone for sins that were committed generations ago against different people. And, and so there, that's what's happening is the stakeholder economy is really listening to these. It's, um, if you look at it, so, so everybody worships something. Uh, homo sapien is probably not the best way to describe man, thinking man. It's homo anari, anari. What is, what is worship? You know, I should have gone to, I should have learned. Yeah, worshiping man. Worshiping man is really what, what it, it should be is because everybody has to worship some, something. And so what you're seeing right now are the priests and the gods of this age uh, practicing church discipline if you don't give a pinch of incense to, to their god, if you don't worship their god. And so this stakeholder economy, if you look at it in the terms of the kingdom of darkness for the, versus the kingdom of his beloved son, the kingdom of darkness— they always seek to, to enslave and to kill. Right. And so that's what's happening right now with a stakeholder economy is it's not just a economic takeover. It's a religious takeover. So 
Dan, I think you're right. And then, so given this, you know, you have many forces that are working against particularly Christian men, right? And particularly white Christian men uh, against families, against churches, especially churches who are going to preach truth, all that stuff. Um, The question is, what do you, what do you do about that? And and I know we're going to unpack this more, but maybe on on this point, is there anything most people can do? Because it feels pretty overwhelming. Yeah. It does feel overwhelming. First thing, know this is going to be hard. Uh, know that it's going to be a fight. Know that, uh, I think it's Doug Wilson who said like, you know, you, you train your, your boys to, to slay dragons and don't be surprised when there are dragons. Right. And so we have like enemies that shouldn't surprise us. Yeah. One of the, one of the hardest things right now, because there's so much information and it's all so bad is knowing where to go eat. Like where, where are you going to get your information from? That's really important. Um, and we've seen as just on blast, like amplified the last 18 months that you cannot trust the mainstream media. You just can't trust them. And so you have to find sources of truth to get information, to know what's actually going on. Right. And there are some some places like uh, in the church, the word of God, uh, godly men, and that it doesn't really matter to the degree of like what specifically is happening in the world because there are overarching principles and overarching truths uh, in God's word that are unchanging. And so um, knowing God's word and knowing like men that you can trust to get these sorts of principles and these you know, get your information. So that's, that's one thing, uh, having a community, um, being more self-sufficient. There are things like that. Uh, thinking locally. I mean, that's huge thinking locally because you, you're a lot stronger if you have a local, uh, if you have local protection. And if you think locally, even, even to the degree of being involved in politics locally, which to most Christians the last 50 years or 70 years would make them shiver like uh with disgust like dry heave gag because politics is seen as dirty and and um you know for the pagans and and so we gave it to the pagans and here we are and so thinking locally with politics and things like that what can you think of anything else yeah two of the ones dan you mentioned them but two of the ones i think are so important is number one own space um you need to be able to carve that out as best you can so get rid of debt um get get rid of your wage slave existence um, as best you can with corporate America. Um, and then that way you're untethered from them as much as possible. I mean, uh, in a lot of ways, a lot of this is hard to escape, but you can definitely get away from it. And so you position yourself better for sort of the culture war that is coming. I always think yeah. about in, in Lord of the Rings, like, you know, it's, it's similar to our day, like Sauron doesn't really care about the, the Shire for the most part. And so if you're in the Shire, which I would equate to sort of like rural America, rural small town America, or a suburb of a city that is kind of ignored, um, you should see that as a tactical advantage. Because, you know, most people um, are distracted and caught up with national politics. And the reality is you can't really do anything about that. But what you can do is deal with things locally. And a lot of these globalists really actually don't care about, they hate the local places. So, if you can find ways to invest there, either contribution or your money, um, you, you're going to be able to build a community, a, a local tribe, um, and that's going to be more important anyway. 
And I think a lot of that is actually embedded in the constitution with things like, why do we, why is, we found out this year, why is it so important that you can assemble face to face, right? Why is that enshrined in the amendments um, that we are guaranteed the right to assemble? Well, it, that speaks about localism. And it speaks about if I'm looking you in the eye face to face, no one can filter that, right? No one can yeah. censor what I'm saying to you face to face. So those things are, are really important. Um, and then, you know, so that's own space. And then it's tied into the second thing I was going to say, which is really localism. Um, I think that we have to have sort of the Mother Teresa mindset in this, this age, which is if you want to change the world, go home and love your family. And, you know, I'm reminded that every single day I see weeds in my yard and I think, well, I can't change Washington, but I can go pull those weeds. Um, I can do the same thing with sin in my life. I can do the same thing with my children, um, giving them discipline, love, encouragement. Um, I can work on a better marriage. And then we can start to uh, move out from there and just stay focused on building things locally, I think is is going to be really huge. Again, you know, I think what you do is when you think about these things strategically, the left really took over in many ways uh, through grassroots stuff on the left, uh, you know, education, um, getting involved in local politics. I think for Christians and for white Christian men, like those are the areas where get local, get grassroots, uh, organize with other pastors, talk about what's going on in your communities, pray for one another, um, try to work for solutions, hold your local officials accountable. Most people have never in their life done that. And if you do start doing it, you start to realize, wow, this can actually be more effective than we thought. You're not going to get a meeting with Joe Biden, but you could meet with your local sheriff, police chief, um, et cetera. Yeah. Oftentimes there are meet and greets like at McDonald's with your sheriff. I mean, it's not like they're inaccessible. I mean, I, I went to a, um, a GOP delegates uh, meeting a few weeks ago. I had a buddy who was running for some office uh, within the GOP. And so I was there to support him. And it was wild because they're desperate for people locally. Like I, I live in a county in, we in Weber County, Utah, and there's a, a couple hundred thousand people here and they're, they just can't even get people to volunteer to be delegates so that the, the delegates are the ones that choose who runs for office for the Republican party. And they can't even get delegates. Like they, they ran out of, they had more spaces than people. I mean, wow. it, it's, it's unbelievable. And so just literally 15 or 20 people that show up can decide like who is running for office to represent a community of tens of thousands of people. And so anyway, just showing up and thinking locally is, is, is really powerful. And the other thing you said with debt, think about it this way. So if you, if you approach work and debt differently, I, I was having a conversation recently with a gentleman in our church. We were talking about building things locally, building a local economy with the church. Yeah. If I had no debt, and let's say the church couldn't pay me anymore because I am a staff pastor, the church couldn't pay me anymore. There's no way I'm filling out a resume. I am toward, I, I'm almost to the point where I can pay off my house and I own a minivan now <laughs> and I own a lawnmower. And so I'd go mow lawns because I don't have to pay a mortgage. Right. I only it's have huge. to pay my taxes, you know, my property taxes and utilities and food. I, I'm free at that point. I am not a debt slave anymore. I can go mow lawns and I can make enough money. You know, yeah, that's I, huge. And, and so there are different things that you can do 
to really strengthen your position. And it takes time. All of this takes time. There's no quick fix. They haven't been doing this great reset overnight. You know, this has been a long time in coming. But another aspect of the, the great reset, we talked about this stakeholder economy. The second one is to build a more resilient, equitable, and sustainable way based on environmental, social, and governance metrics, which would incorporate more green public infrastructure projects. And again, that's from Klaus Schwab. And essentially, to summarize what that means is they want to tax the snot out of you to pay for this new war of saving the planet. That's, the, that's what's, what that's saying. Because the thing is, you'll find historically, uh, tyrants need to have an enemy. Tyrants need to have an enemy in order to get public support. And so COVID was a really convenient one. I mean, but if you look back in history, uh, you have different tyrants. They had enemies. There were always some sort of war they were planning. Uh, they were planning and they were fighting and they were bolstering the people. And right now it's not a war uh, at the moment, but it is going to be the war on the, uh, on to save the planet. So that's going to be like the next thing. And it has been building for a while. It's really interesting. I mean, I, and I know what you mean. We're, we're not in a kinetic war. Um, but I think it's very interesting because we, we are definitely in like the biggest psyops, like, um, asymmetrical warfare going on right now. So I think of something like, and I want to continue to unpack this issue of the environment because you're right; it, it's absolutely center to, to what they're doing. And and most of us, I think, we don't understand like Bill Gates and all these people, even Burger King, places like this. Like I've noticed, like the promotion of vegan uh, vegan food, like this is huge. Like food made out of bugs and food made out of who, who knows what. But this idea, Dan, and you you mentioned this before, but at the heart of it, right, is this idea. The animals and man are bad for the planet and need to be limited and or removed. So what's yeah. interesting is this flies in the face of Genesis 1 and the dominion mandate, which is be fruitful and multiply and have uh, dominion over the animals. Like Adam's first job was not farming primarily. It's animal husbandry. And it's just crazy to me then that, that these guys are pretty much anti- Genesis 1, Christian dominion. And I don't think many Christians have actually thought about that. They just think, yeah. oh, the environment. Oh, yeah. Who doesn't want to save the planet? Well, not like yeah. that. It, I don't. Yeah. In Salt Lake, there's smog. So, of course, you know, we want to, we got to save the planet. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing wrong if you want to eat a vegan burger that's soy. I mean, you'll get more estrogen and you'll grow breasts. I mean, so go for it. Knock yourself out. But <laughs> I mean, that. Like yeah. I said, the, the goal of the enemy is to enslave and to destroy. And, and why? Why is it? Because they hate God. And who bears the image of God? Men. People. people. Yeah. So that's why you see <laughs> be, uh, people being defaced, people being enslaved, people being killed, babies being murdered. They hate God. They hate God. And so, of course, they're going to not like the dominion mandate because that means God gets more glory, gets more dominion. So, of course, they're going to want to spit in the face of that and, and view people as a plague on the earth and want, want to keep them out, like these sanctuaries for, from, from, you know, having people come into these sanctuaries in the environment. Sanctuary is in like a place of worship almost, you know, that's yeah. how they treat these things. And, and we 
humans are a plague on it. And yeah, like you said, we've talked about it before. Humans with, uh, with that perspective of taking dominion for the glory of God will make things better, like wherever they go, right. they'll make things better. So yeah, it shouldn't surprise us that, that then they want to you know, enslave us by, by stealing more of our money and then telling us we can't do certain things in order to prevent humans from, from fulfilling the dominion mandate. So Christians wake up. It's interesting, Dan, too, because there's something simple here um, on point number two in terms of how you can respond to this. You think of globalism and you think, oh my gosh, they have all the resources in the world and they have, they control media and they control all these, these outlets. But here's something that like God has baked into this whole process of humanity that Satan can be overthrown and the powers of darkness and wickedness can be overthrown simply when you and your wife have a baby. And for the most part, like they can't stop that. They've tried to stop it. They've tried to indoctrinate people. They've tried to push the birth control pill. They've tried all these things. But the bottom line is like you and your wife go have a baby and have lots of babies. And like you automatically just in that are causing huge problems for the enemy, right? Yeah. That's a massive form of rebellion. Yeah. You want to rebel against the order of this world, have kids love your kids, raise your kids to fear the Lord, all that good stuff. But it's just amazing to me, Dan, because you don't necessarily have to be a billionaire to do that. In fact, a lot of the billionaires don't have kids. Like God gave you that gift in and of your own body for most people. What a beautiful thing. Use that. Yeah, it's really interesting. In the book of Proverbs, uh, Lady Wisdom says, uh, those who hate me love death. Those who mm. hate wisdom love death. And, and one of the crazy things is that who is having babies right now? Who are the people having babies? It's people that are conservative. And so if you look in this, if you, if you step out of your current place in time and you look generations in the future, the only way that the enemy at this point is going to continue to take over is by stealing our kids and stealing our grandkids by discipling them. And we make it really easy, right? By just sending them to public school to be discipled in the way that the world is discipling them. Right. But, but if we keep our kids, if, if we each have many children and raise them in the Paideia and Nuthesia of the Lord, the, the discipline and instruction of the Lord, and teach them to be godly masculine men and godly feminine women, I, I mean, we will take over the world in not very much time. Yeah, especially, Dan, right? So you, like the world, this is the, this is the thing that, you know, the LGBT movement is a good example, uh, but so is feminism. Yeah. Um, they're discouraging children. Um, you know, homosexuals cannot have children, biological fact. So they've either got to adopt, which is still pretty, pretty rare, pretty infrequent. Um, but the way that they're doing it is through proselytizing kids in school, right? So th that's yeah. the thing. So if you take that away, you stop literally paying for your kids to be indoctrinated and and this, uh, you know, this cult of Satan, and you, you teach your own children to fear the Lord. I mean, it's exactly what you said. They can't reproduce other than stealing. And so that's what we have to, that's one of the war strategies, I think, as Christians. Um, and, and it's great because, again, God baked this in from the beginning. This is not new, uh, but this is the fight, I think, of every age, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. It's a fight of every age is to keep our kids. It's just really unique in this time in history that so many, uh, so many of the enemy are just killing their kids. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable with the morning after pill and, and well, let's say like abortion is down, but the morning after pill, plan B or whatever, uh, and then abortifacient, um, uh, birth control. I mean, those, those things alone, even from, you know, just intentional barrenness, we have an opportunity as Christians to just have kids and to, to raise them to be jo- jovial Christians. And our kids will inherit a much better uh, United States than we have. But the thing is, you just have to, you have to actually disciple your kids. And education is a form of discipleship. Two plus two equals four because Jesus is Lord. It's not neutral. It's not neutral. God made that work. And so if kids are just relegated to being discipled by pagans, you're going to get pagans. Uh, Jesus said a teacher or a student when fully mature becomes like his master. And so there you go. We have to keep our kids and we have to have kids. And the enemy is not doing that. They're not having kids. So we do have an opportunity. Save the planet. Have kids. Cosmic act of rebellion. And and stop buying too, by the way. I think that's part of the reason that the left uh, wants new proselytes in proselytes in um, in the form of immigration, illegal immigration. You know, they're they're like anti. Don't have kids, but by the way, open borders and bring all your kids here. And, and mm-hmm. a lot of it is look. They're look like, like if you're an immigrant, like why does the left want you here? Because they want slave labor, man. They know you work yeah. for cheap. They're taking advantage of you. It's a wicked, horrible thing, and we should all be yeah. opposed to that. So yeah, some of it just waking up. Uh, to that. Dan, I want to ask you on the third point now. Uh-huh. We've gone through two of them, but you've got a third point on here as well. And I wonder if you might walk us through that. Yeah, it's the third point again from Klaus Schwab. Um, by the way, you should watch a video of this guy. He looks like a, like a villain from a Bond <laughs> movie. Anyway, really? uh, yeah, the, the third point is to harness the innovations of the fourth industrial revolution. If you've done any or for mm-hmm. the public good. If you've done any research on, on the Industrial Revolution, I, apparently we're on the fourth one, which I was unaware of. But um, the fruit of that has not generally been good. There are good things like, hey, we have um, you know, like antibiotics because of that and some good production principles. But anyway, that's for a different, uh, different podcast. Really what the fourth Industrial Revolution is, is the integration of AI, of artificial intelligence. And really, again, this is moving away from, from not just localism, but local skills and trades. They want to have, continue to remove people from work, from actual work. And I don't know if you guys have ever thought about it this way. I used to work in cubicles and I realized at one point, like, wait a minute, I'm just a modern factory worker. I'm just pushing buttons. Instead of making something though, I just make letters appear on a screen so I can, you know, use my spreadsheets. I'm just modern slave labor. I'm just a modern factory worker. And so they're continuing to remove people from the trades and from skills and to say, don't worry, we'll take care of that for you. I mean, this, this world economic forum, they're nuts. One of their big slogans is you'll own nothing and you'll be happy. So there you go. That's what they want to do is remove people from actually doing real things, from working with their hands. And so they're going to take care of that for you. Don't worry. Yeah, that's what's so crazy, Dan. I was just thinking about a couple things. Number one, that property, 
ownership of property um, and property is baked in, first of all, to the Ten Commandments and to our, who we are as humans. So the Old Testament, for example, has a ton to say about property rights. Theft would, you know, would be where it's addressed in the negative in the Ten Commandments. But obviously, property is a big thing in God's opinion. That would be uh, kind of point number one. But then I think most men can identify with what you're talking about in cubicle life because we've all had to work those jobs, most of us, where it's like absolutely pointless, mind-numbing, soul-sucking, just like punching on your keyboard, always more bricks, less straw, like we need you to work harder and do more. And oh, by the way, we're going to pay you less. Shareholders at the top just got a pretty fat profit margin, but you're like working you know, 60 hours a week, making 30 grand. And it's on a computer screen, right? You're sitting in these little cubicles, which are like, I mean, it's pretty much the same thing as the chickens in their cages and they're so fat and they're being like squished and they have no oxygen and they have no sunlight. Like you, like you said, you start to realize that's us. One of the things that has struck me about all that is uh, that's why I think Rory Grove's book, Durable Trades, is so important. Like returning to things like meaningful work uh, we need to figure out what those things are. But also, Dan, I feel like it's really important that we actually look at, like Rory has done in his book, but we look at what are the jobs that AI can't really replace, mm-hmm. right? And then, yeah. and then a lot of us, like we need to focus on that work because you need a human for it. Um, one of those, I think, is, interestingly enough, Dan, that he includes in the book is pastoral ministry. Right. It's really, it would be impossible when it comes down to it to uh, replace that. Like, you ha- can you teach a computer wisdom? Yeah. I mean, well, you have seen those vending machines with the fortune teller in there. And you just like, <laughs> yes. and then they give you, maybe they, they could be one like for a pastor, you know? Yeah. No, that perfect. is, that is one. You, you know, that's really interesting. There's a, there's a growing movement in our church. And really, one of the answers to this question, how do you survive the great reset? is having a robust community, is having safety in numbers locally and having a a robust community. And one of the aspects of that is having an economic community. And so there's a growing movement in our church. And this just kind of, it didn't happen by accident, but as we, uh, as the pastors of the church became more convinced that, no, we need to have people like support Christians and support Christian businesses. Cause we're telling all these men like, Hey, you should think about not working for someone, not that th- there's anything wrong with that, but it would be ideal if you owned your own business, you'd make more money doing it and you would be able to choose your jobs. And like, there's a lot of benefits to it. But then we realize, like, Oh, wait a minute. If we're telling men to start these businesses, we should be the one to support them. And then not only is that a benefit to the person starting the business, but now I have an HVAC guy that I can call and he's a Christian. And if he does a bad job, and he tries to steal money from me or something like that, it goes to the church for church discipline. It's not just like a better business bureau, you know, bureaucracy sort of thing. It goes to the church now. It goes to the community and church discipline happens. But I have an HVAC guy. I've got a carpenter. I've got a, you know, a guy who does tractor work. I've got all of these different, different men that now have skills and trades in the community that support the community first. And it's really is a good insulation against this movement to AI and to slave labor and to wage slavery and soul sucking work. Because now I know I can say to a guy, hey, you want to be a plumber? We don't have a plumber. 
And so there are a few men in the church that are, are more well off and they will pay for you to go to trade school so that you can get a job as a plumber and then you will be our plumber. You will guarantee to have work here as a plumber. You know, no matter what the competition is out there, you're the guy, you know, for us. So we'll tell everybody, go, go to this guy and hire him for all your plumbing. And they do. Yeah, I, I think that's really huge that you have like these multiple domains, right? Where and what a lot of this comes down to, Dan, is like Christianity is not just the church domain, right? Christianity is about your vocation, your, your right. you know, everything that's involved in community life. And that includes politics. That includes everything that you would need in a local level. Um, and I think what we're really getting at is that you can, you can build a lot of durability into your life just through that, that community aspect. Um, and I think ultimately, too, the other thing is when you look at empires and you look at the Industrial Revolution, there's this funny phenomenon where things, as they grow in complexity and scale, <clears throat> they tend to collapse. Uh, because they just become, it comes to the point where it's unsustainable. Um, you yeah. think about our economy. The only way an inflationary economy can exist is if stuff is always massively growing and growing and growing and growing. But any farmer can tell you, like, stuff doesn't grow all the time. You need years no. of fallow ground. You need years where there's not a ton of fruit and there's just, you know, kind of the growing over that field, even with, you know, the land that we look at in the Old Testament, it had years of rest. So I think. All of that stuff is bound to collapse, and when it does, you're going to have to have local resources um, is a huge deal about all of this, right? Yeah, and I think, uh, so one of the big movements, uh, is, and it's a, a product of our, our culture, is, is a strong individualism, which uh, being a man and having uh, skills yourself and kind of being a jack of all trades is something that's laudable. It is a virtuous sort of, uh, aim, you know, to have, to be able to do drywall and to be able to pour concrete and to be able to, you know, write and to be able to read and to memorize like all of those things, like being a holistic man is really important. But the thing is, there are things that like Eric is a really good writer. I am not a really good writer. If I needed something written, I would be better off going to Eric to get that done. Same thing with like the carpenter, like having specialists in a community becomes really valuable. I can change my own oil. Um, I even did some engine work recently on my truck. Um, remember, it's a piece of crap. So I've got, got it's practice. Afford. But if, if, I need, if I need a rebuild done, I, if I need to rebuild my engine, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to take it to the guy who's a specialist to do that. It benefits the community so much to recognize as a man, like, you know what? My strengths lie in this area and I'm going to pursue that, my interests and my strengths so that I can not only benefit me and my family, but I can also benefit my community. And it becomes multiplicitous. I mean, as far as strengthening that community, because you get people that are like, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm interested in this. This is my strength and recognizing it and having other members of the community recognize it. And this is going to be a massive insulation for us and our local community here in Ogden, Utah, because we're going to be essentially untouchable. There's, there are men who have more means who are like younger guys who, who grew up knowing how to invest in real estate and they're buying up city blocks. And we have, you know, like I said, guys in trades. And so you have housing, you have a lot of uh, local economy and a lot of trades and it, it becomes really, really potent. Uh, in insulating and protecting yourself from economic collapse. 
because you have guys, I know guys that, that raise large animals and guys that are really good at farming and guys that have fruit, like, you know, so it, it sounds romantic. It's a lot of work. Um, but it, it really is, I think, building a robust community as an insulation against the enemy who wants to enslave and to destroy. That's really the best way to survive this. And it's all outlined in God's word. It's not like we're inventing anything here. So Dan, if I, I want to ask you for, for guys who maybe want to read more about this, look at some of the resources, I guess, first of all, from uh, a Christian perspective, uh, are there books or things that you would point to? I know that I've, I've mentioned Rory Grove's book, Durable Trades. That yeah, book will yeah. address the economy and some of the, the pitfalls of modern society, as well as some solutions. That's one good one. Uh, but what other, what other resources would you point folks to? Oh, man. Yeah. I, I mean, Man of the House, I'm sure we've recommended that probably multiple times. Man of the House is really good. So C.R. Uh, Wiley. Yeah, C.R. Wiley. Uh, yeah, anything C.R. Wiley has written, essentially. Yeah. You know, the, the Household in the War for the Cosmos. Uh, I would probably recommend Masculine Christianity. Um, so Zach Garris on that one, Masculine Zach, Christianity. Zach Garris. Yeah. Um, the, I'm trying to think of anything else. Read Ecclesiastes 4. That's really good. That's in the Bible. Uh, Ecclesiastes 4. Anything, Dan, on the specifically on finance? Maybe, maybe, so this is maybe not necessarily even Christian perspective, yeah, yeah, but yeah. there's a lot sure. of stuff on the Fed, that sort of thing. What would you recommend? Yeah, yeah. So the um, Creature from Jekyll Island is really good. I would recommend that. It's about the creation of the central bank and the, the Federal Reserve. And it, it really gives you a good uh, um, education on money and, and the basics of economics from a historic standpoint. Like this economy that we have right now, this inflationary economy, believe it or not, this isn't the first time this has happened. And every time it's ended in economic collapse because it, of the devaluing of currency. And so I uh, try to go buy lumber right now. You know, we talked about that just a minute ago. Buy, try to buy lumber or gas or any, anything else right now. We're seeing radical inflationary um, costs. Um, so yeah, uh, the creature from Jekyll Island, I can't recall the author's name off my, top of my head, but that's a unique enough title. You probably find that. Yeah. We'll uh, put it I, in the, the show notes as well. We'll include that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, if I think of anything, I'll, 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 I'll put it in the show notes. If I think of any other books, I've read a, a couple, so I need to look at my Goodreads and, and, and see what else I, I can find. So did you have any books off the top of your head you could think of? No, I think that that's a really good list. Um, yeah, I would definitely recommend, especially for guys thinking about jobs. So uh, jobs and debt, stuff like that. Rory Groves, really good introduction in his book, Durable Trades. Um, and he's got in that book quite a few, like if you check out the bibliography and the footnotes, um, that's really helpful because it, it'll reference a bunch of stuff, um, including stuff about AI. Uh, Rory's worked in technology. Um, and he knows quite a bit about that. The other thing I would really recommend, um, Nancy Piercy talks a lot about this. It's in quite a few books. Ann Douglas, The Feminization of American Culture is one of them, mm -hmm. and Chris Wiley. But really this theme of how the Industrial Revolution shaped and destroyed so many things, including really played a huge role in the destruction of the uh, traditional family. Um, and so I think it just gives you some ideas about, look, we need to rethink everything that we just took for granted for the last 50, 100 years and um, think about some viable solutions. 
I would be, you know, for guys, I would say, okay, look, if you can work from home, do that. If you can homeschool or find a Christian school, uh, authentically Christian school, not just that they have Christian in their name or faith, Bible, whatever, but robust Christian education, um, you know, things like that. Wives should be doing everything they can to be in the home, raising those kids, um, being the help meet for your husband and not for somebody, not a stranger. Um, so some just simple stuff that a lot of those books will outline that really is, it, 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 it fits under the umbrella of what I would say, get your own household in order. Like, yeah, that would be my overall arching advice in all of this is how do you handle the great reset? Get your household in order, be faithful where God has called you. And if God has given you one talent, then be a one talent man and be faithful as a good steward of that stuff. And, mm-hmm. um, and seek refuge in God and he will, he will protect you. Yeah. When, uh, another piece of advice. So, so reading is, is very valuable. You must be a reading man, uh, to read books. The other thing is to look at men that are doing something better than you are and, uh, to go to them and say, like, teach me how to do X, Y, or Z. I mean, I've got a couple of guys that I meet with every week, hmm. uh, for investing. Cause I'm like, you're way better at this than I am. I'm like scraping and clawing to break even every year. Yeah but you're making millions of dollars in the stock market. Teach me how to do that. And so I have, I have two guys, one for cryptocurrency and one, one guy for stock market, the stock market to, to help me with my investments. Uh, and, and so if you have a trade uh, or if you see a man that's just like a really godly man and he's leading his kids well, he's got older kids, they're Christians, like mentor me, like that, do that. That's another benefit of community is that you don't have to learn everything from C.R. Wiley at a distance, that God has, has placed men that don't have social media, that have done things faithfully for years that are worth following, and so seek those men out. So that would be the other thing I was, I'd recommend. Yeah, mentorship uh, is huge. I think any skill set that's worth having and is durable is typically hard to acquire, and so you're going to need mentors. It also makes me think, Dan, of surrounding yourself with good uh, men who challenge you. I don't know who said it, but I saw a quote on Twitter the other day. It said, if you're the smartest man in the room, then you're in the wrong room. Mm. And um, yeah, so like you said, like find guys who are I better. I need to leave the chat. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <that's, laughs> as long as I'm here, no one can say that. So um, I'm, I'm helping Sorry, the tribe Sorry, I just out. killed it for you. I just killed it. You <laughs> were on a roll killed. and I just killed it. <laughs> I love it. Well, that's awesome, Dan. I think gives people some really awesome things to be thinking about, be reading. And of course, we always welcome people's feedback, thoughts, input, all that good stuff. You can uh, respond on the website. Um, and we encourage people, Dan, as we're wrapping this show up, we encourage people to go to, especially Apple, to the iTunes store. If you leave a five-star review on this show, that really helps us out. And we appreciate the reviews as well that people have left. Dan, we also have products in the store. One of the things you'll see if you go to the store at wilderness-warrior.com, you will see a beautiful green hoodie. Dan, these hoodies are amazing. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's beautiful. They are uh, the working man's hoodie because they are not $100. And so, yeah, check those out. I've got them ready to rock. I mean, they're beautiful. They're a work of art. Super durable. Fits good. Yeah, it's been in the 90s around here, so it's not exactly sweatshirt weather. But hey, for you people, you know, in like Maine, like, you know, knock yourselves out. Yeah, get you a sweatshirt. Sweat, uh, uh, pint glasses, though. Pint glasses right now. 
they call oh, cold, it's huge. cold beer. So you get your you get you get your hoodie, you get your t shirt. T shirts for the daytime. Hoodie is mm-hmm. for when you're around the bonfire with your pint oh, yeah. glass. Yep. You you get your pint glass, you fill it with a cold beverage. Some libations, mm-hmm. Dan. Yes. Okay, and, and, and as we're closing, Dan, uh, we're going to have like a short segment here, and I just made this up on the spot. Oh, boy. Like, okay. This is fresh. This is how, and I think it's going to be good. Right. I'm glad you're editing, so continue. Exactly. So, <laughs> this is a new segment, and it's going to be like your hot take on like what scotch you're enjoying right now, so at the moment. Oh, what, what's like what top three? What scotch am I in? Oh, man, that's a big, that's a big question. If people could see your face right now, they'd be like, Dan's like, what a great idea for a segment on this show. Genius. Well, so, so you know how I was talking about mentors? Well, there is a gentleman at our church and he has been mentoring me in scotch and it's been kind of accidental, but it, anyway, he's so quite amazing. Scotch, he is. He is. When I drink scotch, I don't drink a, squ- a scotch. It's like eight scotches. Well, I, and I mean, right. come on, come on. Not to drunkenness, but uh, you know the the scotch that every time I go to it, it just continues to satisfy me and surprise me. Oh man, do I have to say just one? No, you can. So okay, so here's here's the thing: if you're gonna just sit down and have a scotch and just really enjoyable, Glenlivet Fifteen is just so nice. Red apples. Mm-hmm. The the way I describe it is, it's like sitting in an orchard in September when the apples are ripe and bees are buzzing and it smells like grass and pollen and sunshine. And it's just amazing. It is just so nice, warm and fruity and sweet. But then the other one that to contrast that so that I don't sound like a limp wristed sissy is, uh, the art art bag. That is okay. That is my jam. That is like smoke peat. You, you like eat cigars with it. You don't smoke them. You like eat cigars with it. It's so like smoky already. You don't need to smoke that cigar. You just eat it. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. It's so good. Highly recommend. Yeah. So Dan, you mentioned the Oogadol, Ardbeg Oogadol. And before I had that, I thought that I had, you know, I've had like Lagavulin, the 1216, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Um, I've had a lot oh, yeah. of that stuff and I thought, oh, these are really peaty and strong. They put hair in your chest. And then I had the Oogadol. And I don't think it's an under or an overstatement, but I think it changed my life, Dan. So yeah. if, if I have like a go-to um, and I'm feeling extra manly, the mm-hmm. Oogdal is up there. Now, locally, oh, yeah. um, a lot of times you can't get it locally. So I'll have to order from Caskers or something like that to, to, to get one of these. Um, they do have the Ardbeg 10-year. Yes. Which is, yeah. it's fairly cheap. Um, it's, mm-hmm. I think about $60 or something like that. Um, it's, it's fairly cheap. It's pretty peaty and pretty smoky, but it's like $15 less than the Oogdal. And I'm not sure they hold a candle to each other. No, no. The 10 year is really good. Uh, so you get like with a port Charlotte Smooth. is another one that's really, yeah, it's, it's, there's actually some fruit notes to it. If you drink it, typically I like to have the uh, peatier stuff towards the end of my tasting. Oh yeah. Um, but uh, if you have them up front, there is actually a little bit of fruit underneath, but the tenure it's so they it loses smoke and peat the longer it ages. So it's pretty young. It's, it's pretty, um, it's a pretty young scotch and um, I don't know. It's, it's good. It's, it is really good and it's locally available. 
I'm trying to think of some that I have so many scotches that you can't get in Utah. Don't ask me how I got them, but they, but anyway, uh, Utah is pretty limited as far as what you can get here. Yeah. We've got, we've got the 15 year. I'm on board with you. That's a Glenn Levitt. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's amazing. I think Dan, that one you can even get at Costco. I don't know. Costco doesn't carry booze here. Okay. So I, I've, I'm pretty sure I've seen it in other States at Costco, mm-hmm. which yeah. makes for a pretty awesome bargain buy. Um, because it's in the uh, 1.75. We've got the Ardbeg Oogdal. I'm going to throw out a third one that has been, yeah. I don't know, it just knocks my socks off every time. I have a hard time. It's a little more expensive, but uh, this is the Bunahaben. Oh. Bunahaben. Um, the 18? I'm to, yeah, yeah. I would say the, the 18, 18 is, is probably my favorite. See, that one is a, I don't own a Bunahaben 18 because it's like $135, $140 bottle, but that is, it is so special. So a, a cheaper, it, it, still in the peat category is the Bunahaben Teratique, and it's spelled really goofy, but there's smoke on the bottle. It's a black bottle. That one's pretty good too. That one's a lot, that, that one's like a $45, $50 bottle, but it's no Bunahaben 18. Bunahaben I mean, that one will knock your is... socks off. It's so good. Or roll them down or something. It's really good. Yeah, and I would say, Dan, like that's expensive, but it's not a Macallan 18 expensive. Well, it's also not a Macallan 18, ex- you know, experience. So it's not, it's not, but I would just say, like, <laughs> it's, it's up there with like top tier, like really awesome, uh, libations and, uh, yeah. you know, a special occasion for sure, but, uh, yeah, you know that any 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 scotch that's over one hundred and fifty dollars that I've had is just in a different category to me. It like, is. Uh, I I had a Brucolotic, uh Black Art the other day. Oh man, magic! How much? How much is it? Oh, it's like three hundred and fifty bucks. You know, we're podcasting for a living. We don't get Black Art. So that this is the beauty, Dan, <laughs> and and I'm going to ask you a question, which is. What is the most expensive bottle of scotch you've had? Yeah. Tasted. Yeah. What um, is that, first of all? Yeah, it's the Belvini 30. And that one is uh, $1,300. Oof. But I've also had a um, Macallan 18 purple box, which hasn't been made since, oh man, maybe like 2010 range. Oh. Uh, I've had some of that. They stopped making it, and so obviously the value is pretty high. But but definitely the um, Balvini 30 is the most expensive. Tastes like fresh pear. I mean, it's so good. Really smooth. Totally not worth it, though. No. I mean, I didn't pay for it, but I, would, I, I, I think you could get that experience from, from other bottles. But anyway, what about yeah. you? Yeah. No, I've never had anything in that, in that price range. Uh, yeah, there's a higher year that I've had of the, uh, McAllen, uh, which it was at a, I can't remember the gentleman's name, but you know, very, very, very wealthy billionaire type. Yeah. Um, Uh and we were at his ranch and, um, I said, oh my goodness. I saw it was on the top, top shelf. It might've been a 50 year, like just something super, super rare. Like, yeah. Out of this world rare. And I was like, oh my gosh, you have the Macallan in that. It was, I think, 30 or it might have been the 50. And, mm-hmm. um, and they said, yeah, you want some? And I was like, oh. 
And literally, oh, Dan, I nursed that scotch for like all evening because it was, it, how do you even describe it? It was just so amazing. Um, yeah. That, that would, I don't know what that would cost, but uh, that, that was definitely know, up gonna there. I'm going to have to Google it now. Man, that's wild. I did have a Macallan 25 the other night and surprisingly disappointing. Really? Just did not have, you know what? We should just do a scotch episode. Just a bonus episode, because this could go on for hours, and we've already gone on so many tangents. People are like, my life is at stake. I'm going to die from the Great Reset, from the status, and you're worried about scotch, and the answer is yes. Well, so, and, yeah, and minivans a, sliding down the hill with skid plates, you know. That's like a good, that. It's a good place to close, but one of the things I love, Psalm 23, and I'm always reminded of this, like, God's people are faithful warriors. In Psalm 23, you, you set a table before me in the presence of my enemies and my cup overflows. Like the beauty of knowing Christ and walking with your good shepherd is that in the midst of the war, God's meeting with us every week and he's communing with us. And so one of the things we do as Christians is we're feasting, right? In the midst of all of this, we're not head hung low and just, what was me? And I, there were better times and our lives suck. It's, you know, we're joyful, feasting, hospitable Tom Bombadils. Tom Bombadils, that's right. King Loon just read the Chronicles of Narnia. King Loon. It's a king's responsibility to to ha- be joyful in, when there's little. So there you go. Absolutely. King energy. King energy. So men, ladies, if you're listening, tell your husbands, go crush uh, and have the king energy. Dan, it's been an awesome show. Thank you. Thank you. Until next time, men, live dangerously, be wild, and embrace the wilderness warrior way of life.